is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hello, dear friends from Education Monsters. This is Aureli, and I'm here with my friend Sonia. We met in school, specifically in grad school. So Sonia has been my friend for about two years. She completed her bachelor's and her master's degree in biology at a Canadian university, and she had moved to the east coast of Canada to complete her PhD. So thank you so much, Sonia, for being here and for being a guest at Education Monsters. How are you today? For having me. I don't have any classes anymore, so it's mostly just like lab work. So I've been taking the opportunity to bike uh, to and from work, um, and it's, it's been nice. It's been, I've been doing a lot more exercise now, <laughs> so that's good. That's awesome that you're biking. It's so healthy of you. I admire that a lot because a lot of people, including me, are gaining some weight during this confinement. <laughs> it's hard not to like stress eat. <laughs> like, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being stressed out at home. And also we just have to stay home. So I think it limits a lot of people. But it's nice to like when it's nice and a bit quiet. I'd like to just walk around the block. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on my podcast today talking about your experience uh, in school. And can you please define us um, like your background and how you grew up? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from BC. So I was born here and uh, my parents came here uh, separately. Uh, so my mom originally is from China. She came here in the, 20, uh, uh, in the 80s when she was 20. And my dad also came here in the 80s when he was 19. So he's from Malaysia. Uh, so they both met here and they had us. So I have an older brother, a younger sister, and we grew up in BC. It was nice. <laughs> That's really awesome. So we're here to talk about uh, your experience in the school system in Canada, but also as a visible minority, as an Asian person, mm -hmm. which uh, mm -hmm. I'm super interested in because in every uh, situation, everyone experiences um, taboos of racism differently. So can you tell me uh, what was it like? Yeah, it was really interesting. So I feel like the Asian culture and the Western culture are pretty different. Uh, Asian culture values like like hard work, being respectful to your parents, uh, and sort of like community-based values, uh, whereas Western ideals are more like individualistic and being unique and like following your dreams. So it was two very opposite sort of cultures. And so as an Asian Canadian growing up with these two very opposing cultures, oftentimes it feels like home is one culture and going to school is a different culture. Uh, so it feels like its own culture on its own. So uh, growing up, it was uh, kind of weird having these sort of mixed identities. Yeah, what did your parents push for? So because they came here separately, were they embracing mm -hmm. the Canadian culture, like aka a wider culture, before they had you guys? Or did they still try to maintain a more traditional um, upbringing? Yeah, so I mean, uh, growing up, we still like celebrated like Chinese New Year and uh, other like the Moon Festival. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember because I moved away from home quite a while ago. <laughs> um, but we also like celebrate Western cultures like Thanksgiving, Christmas like Easter, because my parents were, are religious. Um, so yeah, I mean, they didn't like shy away from their culture, but they also embraced the Western culture without giving up their own. That's really cool. And what kind of cuisine did your parents cook? Um, Food-wise, a bit of both. I think my mom, you know, was used to eating traditional like Asian food, mostly rice, having rice at every meal. 
I don't know if you can relate. <laughs> yes, definitely. This is like exactly how I grew up. Like my parents badly wanted us to integrate, but also served us right mm -hmm. every meal. <laughs> yeah. And some foods is like kind of like, I guess, weird to outsiders or smell differently. I mean, I, I, I embraced it. It was I, I just liked food in general. Um, but I mean, my mom also was really, she was always eager to learn. Um, so she also like learned how to make like, you know, roast chicken or like roast beef and like other sort of more Western dishes. So it was a really good combination of both. And I was really sort of lucky to have a mom who was a really good cook. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I would say uh, my parents are really good cook as well but they only cook what they know. And in terms of integration, like you said, they're trying a little bit because they mm. come as a uh, young people, like they were still mm. 20s when they came. So they're still open-minded and they're not completely uh, close to uh, learning a new culture. I remember mm -hmm. when my mom made some white boudin, like this was the most awful dish ever. Like, it <laughs> what was, was it? It was white boudin. So it's this um, uh, sausage looking <laughs> dish. But it was stuffed with uh, white meat in it instead of blood. And she cooked it with some apples. It was just like super horrifying. My sister and I just like hated it. Is that supposed to be like blood sausage, but different? Yeah, except that it's white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Like we used a lot mm. of uh, French bread, for example. In mm. We have this uh, curry dish in Cambodia. And we just mm -hmm. eat it with bread, sometimes with baguette, instead of having rice, because my dad just didn't feel like putting rice in a rice cooker. So we just bought a baguette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's sort of similar. Like sometimes we just like mix these foods and it's just totally normal for us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tell me, uh, what, what languages did you speak at home? Um, so my mom, uh, my mom and dad, they both speak Cantonese, but I think my dad was a little bit scared of us not being able to learn English properly and being put in like you know the ESL they don't call it ESL anymore but like the ESL classes so he only spoke to us in English but so it was, it'd be really funny because it'd be like all of us in a you know in the family and when he turns to my mom to speak he speaks in Chinese and then he turns to us and he speaks English <laughs> he like refuses to speak Chinese to us uh, but my mom uh, was more comfortable speaking Chinese to us so uh, we were also really lazy um speaking Chinese back because you know we're so used to speaking English at school so she would speak to us in Chinese and we would reply in English although she did put us through Chinese school like every Saturday I don't know if you had that too I don't have that most of my friends had it but I think my parents because uh, they they had Chinese roots but they grew up in Cambodia so they went to Cambodian schools they cannot speak any Chinese and I think it was harder to find a Cambodian school in Paris where I grew up so they didn't really enforce that. And like, mm -hmm. exactly like your parents, they were afraid about the uh, integration. And because they were newcomers, they didn't want us to mm -hmm. become newcomers because we're just born in France. So mm -hmm. we only spoke French at home. And I would say mm -hmm. after the age of three, Cambodian was just out of the house. Even between mm -hmm. them, I think they put the effort because they were taking night classes in French. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to say that they don't have any accent in French right now. So they worked so wow. hard. And that led me to uh, also work on my English accent. When I came to the States, I also did not want to feel like an immigrant. And if my parents were yeah. French in their 20s, then I could definitely mm -hmm. learn English in my 20s. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so impressive. Because I remember, like, my parents were really trying. Like, my mom studied, um, she went to veterinarian school in, in China. And so she basically graduated 
veterinarian medicine uh, before she came here and she can find a job. So she did try to go to like, you know, night classes and stuff. But yeah, and she like worked as a waitress for a bit. But it was kind of hard to like learn another language when you're already in your 20s. And you also have to like try to work full time to sustain yourself. And she just ended up getting married to my dad and becoming a housewife. Like I remember growing up translating a lot of documents to her and like trying, you know, reading English documents to her and trying to translate that back. I remember my mom listening to French music and to the Beatles. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> interesting. That's true. Like I, I was, I think that song um, Careless Whisper came up at the radio one time. And, <laughs> and I thought it was so funny because there was that YouTube video about like the sexy sax man. And then my mom overheard the song. She's like, oh, I know this song. And I was so surprised. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I thought you just listen to Chinese music. <laughs> like, but it's music. so funny. I I did remember my mom telling me about the French influence because Cambodia used to be uh, occupied by the French. So they brought mm-hmm. a lot of the Western culture, including the food, including the baguette in some of the music. And to the point where some Cambodian musicians started singing in French and they started mixing oh, wow. Cambodian and French lyrics in their song. And we couldn't find them on YouTube, but it would have been so hilarious. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Yeah. I'm a little interested now. I'm a little curious. <laughs> yeah. And were your parents much into karaoke? Um, not much, actually. My aunts were, though. <laughs> they, I think they even had, like, a karaoke machine at home. And so they were, like, bring it out at, like, Christmas parties and stuff. And or like, yeah, usually at Christmas. <laughs> But actually, you bring up a good point because, like, music is a pretty good way to sort of, like, get into the culture and learn more about the language. Like, because, you know, music is fun to listen to as opposed to, like, listening to English lessons or French lessons. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think back then they had podcasts uh, to uh, learn a new language. Like, yeah. We don't have the same technology that we do right now. Like, we can just use um, a teacher online, a book, uh, YouTube. So tell me in terms of your childhood, like, what was it like... Um, uh, making friends. Um, so growing up, I realized that I usually make friends with those who are also like Asian, Asian, Asian Canadian. I was an Asian American. <laughs> like I'm not, from, I'm not from the states. Uh, Asian Canadian, like people who are also like born here or moved here recently, just because it was easier to sort of get along with them, and so like we had a better understanding of each other's lives so yeah like all through elementary school and high school even and in university too uh, like a good portion of my friends or you you know my closer friends would be those who are Asian but grew up here Mm -hmm. was it easier Mm -hmm. like you said to share the same inside jokes and also to understand each other's culture because you guys like sort of uh, go through the same struggles and also the same uh, differences in school yeah exactly that's exactly it it's just easier to relate yeah basically it's like having this sort of in-between culture and so it just happened to be that when we grew up in a western society and people feel integrated right away but we have to justify we grew up in a bilingual household then it's it's also uh, different inside jokes that you have with your friends yeah and like you know there's different like house rules i guess some things like oh don't drink too much alcohol or like don't go out and they like weren't into sleepovers and stuff but not strict as in like you have to study nine hours a day or whatever I think they were pretty relaxed so how was it like uh, growing up uh, with uh, Asian parents did did that also affect uh, what you study 
Um, not really. It was more like an individual choice to uh, become a scientist um, because I actually didn't have relatives who went to grad school. I think I'm probably the first one to. So my family like mostly studied like business or like architecture, those sort of professions. But I got into science um, because I actually wanted to do medicine because I really wanted to grow up and like help people. But I realized um, I really liked research when I was doing an undergrad. Um, so I continued to do a master's and now I'm doing a PhD. That's really nice. And also I've been told that if you want to help one person at a time, be a doctor. But if you want to help millions, do research and <laughs> have a bigger impact. So you go yeah. It's a different way of sort of helping society. It, I think it really depends on the personality and value fit, but I definitely feel like research is something I really like and it fits for me. Also, in your childhood mm -hmm. or in your adulthood, um, did you feel, um, did you always feel integrated to Canada or did you receive any uh, racist comments throughout your life? Um, kind of. I think I was fortunate enough to grow up in um Western Canada, where there's a bigger Asian population, a larger Asian population. So I didn't feel like I stuck out like a sore thumb. And uh, yeah, I mean, the city also celebrates a lot of uh, multicultural sort of events and holidays. Uh, but even then, yeah, I think because I, I very much look Asian, you know, that doesn't stop people from making racist comments. Definitely had a couple throughout my life. <laughs> yeah, can you give us an example? Yeah, so a common one is, when did you move here, even though I was born here? So that yeah, you probably had that, that too. too. Yeah, mm -hmm. also random shouts on the street of Ni Hao. <laughs> yeah, That's I just got that two days ago, which is funny, <laughs> and just in the middle of the city. Yeah. I just like don't know how to respond to that in a nice way, <laughs> so I just don't respond at all. Two days ago, it was a uh, alleged an old Asian man with uh, his wife walking around. He looked really lost, and he said ni hao, ni hao, and he saw I was not responding, so I didn't know how to help him out. And in the end, I just like walked away because there was no way I could explain. Um, I'm not. I I don't understand you. Oh, that seems more like he was lost and trying to get help, and he only spoke Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little bit different. I met, yeah. like, random old Caucasian men going, like, me how to me on the street, just to either, I don't know. I don't think they purposely mean to taunt us. <laughs> I think in your case, the guy was lost. I hope he's, hope he's okay. <laughs> I hope he's okay, too. I just don't, like, I know that it's not just white people, um, assuming that because I look Asian, then I speak an Asian language. It's also Asian mm -hmm. people walking around and assuming that I would speak their language. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why he just picked Chinese. Like uh, in France, sure. I've, I've gotten a lot of ni hao, a lot of a konnichiwa. And I remember telling my dad, like, why are people doing this? And my dad said, look, I don't think it's racist. I think they just want to engage with you. And I told him, no, that's like, pretty ignorant because you can't just, uh, assume someone's culture or someone's language by how they look you can approach them by uh hey uh, do you mind helping me or like uh, where are you from but like just throwing words in a random language i know it's something that doesn't really happen to uh to white people yeah i remember my uh, white friend telling me he went to asia and a lot of the asian people assume he was american 
Like he's just uh, like he he's from France, but people assume he was American mm -hmm. and speaking English. So I think the stereotype happens in both ways. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think most people don't mean to be racist. I think it's one of those like if you assume someone's culture, you're like me how to people like random Asian people in the street. That's sort of like low key, um, low key racism. But even though they don't realize it, and like asking like, oh, when did you move here, sort of invalidates our place in in this country. Exactly. Like, yeah. did you feel like a newcomer or that someone that shouldn't belong here because they address exactly. your language? When did that get annoying for you? I don't know. I guess it's sort of like strangers talking to me on the street is always annoying. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I don't know. It's just always kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, I feel like as I get older, it gets more and more difficult for me to have the patience to explain to those people that, look, I was not born in Asia. Um, I speak the language perfectly fine. It's not because I look Asian that you have to ask me where I was born because that happens. That happened to me yesterday on the job interview. It was crazy. I was interviewing for this job at a hospital and the person who was interviewing me is from France. So he, he caught my accent. He saw that, like he realized that I also speak fluent French and he said, oh, but so you're French, but where are you from? Like, where were you born? And mm -hmm. it's totally implied that there's something behind it. Like you're not really French. So yeah. I, it, it turned me off, uh, especially because that's for a job interview and also for multiple reasons. Like he asked me for my previous salaries and apparently that's not truly legal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of red flags. <laughs> I felt like he was pretty strong for a job interview to ask uh, where are you from and where were you born? Um, maybe it's a little personal. Maybe some people don't mind it. Um, what do you think mm -hmm. about that, Sonia? Does it confuse people that we can be born in different places and speak languages that don't match up with their skin color? I don't know. I think like you would address to me in Cambodian, I would maybe understand the gist of it, but could not mm -hmm. at all. Like I would be completely handicapped uh, if I yeah. go there tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> it is annoying. It is kind of frustrating not to be able to recognize that like we can also exist in this place. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like your school experience was different in the East Coast versus the West Coast of Canada in terms of uh, being from a visible minority? Because you mentioned there was a bigger community in Vancouver. So did you feel like it's something that you missed or how did you deal with that? Yeah, a little bit. I think I experienced a little bit more racism in, well, in this province, uh, mostly because we are more minority here there's a smaller population here so I, I actually don't I didn't feel like I experienced a lot of racism or you know overt sort of racist remarks uh, in the east in the west coast that's mm -hmm. uh, very interesting because you've also been uh, very involved uh, in school like you've uh, mm -hmm. demonstrated like amazing social skills on top of doing your <laughs> PhD you've had oh, a thank lot you. of <laughs> Yeah, like you've always super, you've always super, like you've always been super friendly and smiling. So. <laughs> I'm actually an introvert. Very few people know this, but I'm, I, I have just a very, very uh, high social battery. I don't know what you call it, but. Oh, you know, sometimes <laughs> it depends on with who, like some people are more That's true. than others. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I moved here, I didn't know anyone and you know, I got involved in a lot of things. I think it's a really great way to sort of get to know the city and get to know people. So um, yeah, I was involved and I'm still involved in a lot of things. And I think it's a great way to sort of supplement your 
um, your schooling too, because it's oftentimes you maybe get stuck in a problem when you're doing research or in grad school and having other things that are going on for you. It's, um, it sort of keeps you grounded. Yeah. Can you tell us more about uh, specifically the association you're involved in? Yeah. So I'm uh, involved in like a lot of uh, science communication outreach sort of uh, organizations. Um, some are like making like educational videos for uh, like neuroscience videos for, for elementary kids. And I'm also recently involved in a podcast that my, uh, my friend is doing. It's more for scientists. It's like reading sort of summary abstracts and keeping scientists in, in the loop with the latest research. And I also recently, before the pandemic, was volunteering uh, the Alzheimer's Society, like doing sort of uh, recreational activities with them. And I did a bit of that back in Vancouver um, in a sort of rehabilitation home. Being connected with um, the people that my research is helping definitely helps me stay motivated and keeps me like focused. That's really nice. It sounds like you're very ambitious and also very passionate about your field. Yeah, still talking about extracurricular activities. So we we're talking earlier about the uh, Asian influence in school, but talking about uh, what people do outside of school. Um, yeah, so definitely back in BC when there's a lot more hiking trails and mountains and more things to do outside. Um, I definitely did a lot of that. I loved hiking when I was in BC. Here it's a little bit harder because there's not a lot of like, but I did a lot of rock climbing both indoors and outdoors. That was super fun. Um, so here um, I'm doing a little bit more like cross-country skiing in the winter because there's some really good parks around here that are good for that. And I'm doing obviously a lot of biking <laughs> because it's like a great way to commute. And uh, biking is just nice. It's really nice, especially like at night when it's, cool like in the summer so i did some skiing as well back in france when i was younger as a teenager and mm -hmm. i remember being the only like the only asian person there every single time people look at you <laughs> like what are you doing here since when yeah. do people uh, get into this sort of activities and it's the same for mm -hmm. hiking i mostly go to maine vermont and also sometimes mm -hmm. new york it feels oh, like white wow. right? although like <laughs> It's it's pretty expected, but like, how do you feel on the on the on the track? Like, uh, is is it something that you notice uh, being different? Do people look at you weird? I don't think so. I think when well, when I was doing a lot of outdoor hiking in in BC, there was a pretty big uh, Asian population, so I didn't feel like I stuck out either. Uh, but I think you're right. I think um, there is sort of a social, economic, sort of also cultural divide between like in, in certain like outdoor activities or like sports or extracurricular for sure. Like some sports, for example, like figure skating, it's super expensive. I did a little bit of that in high school and yeah, there's a lot of uh, Asians and stuff. Um, I did a bit of swimming growing up also. Yeah, I think you're right. Like for, for example, like ping pong is super, <laughs> super popular amongst Asian people as a sport of choice or stuff like that. So I think that's very interesting to, Sort of see yeah although i'm not saying that like uh, a sport has a color but it's just uh, mm -hmm. that it's interesting to see the divide between people yeah and it's not, and it's not necessarily even related to the cost because uh, uh some sports more expensive than others but it also it could yeah. also be like what parents push you to do as well mm -hmm. that's true yeah i was i don't know did your parents push you towards any sort of extracurricular growing up 
in my case, no, I picked up the piano because my Asian friends were doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> my friends did not object and yeah. they were very happy to buy me a piano, but it was very, Aww. it was also like, it's nice that they encouraged it, but I saw that, uh, in my piano lessons, there were a bunch of Asians as well in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Piano was definitely like something my parents really liked. They didn't like, I think growing up, they didn't really like push me towards anything, but they, you know, gave me every opportunity to, like, they never spent money on themselves. Like, they would never take vacations or buy expensive clothes or cars or whatever. They put all their money in, like, our education and, like, their children's, like, happiness. For a lot of, like, immigrant parents, they just want, like, a better life for their kids. So all they do is, like, spend all their money and time and effort in their kids. And I think we're sort of spoiled in that way, too. Yeah, it's very, it's very lucky, but also I see this as a little bit sad because that, that's the case for my dad. He's always sacrificed everything so my sister and I could be well. And sometimes mm-hmm. I, wish, I wish he would take some time off or maybe spend a little bit more on himself because at some point after doing this for so long, he doesn't know what he likes anymore. That's true. I think that's true too. I think you bring up a really good point because they've, like, they, you know, ever since having kids, sacrifice your own happiness for your kids so they could have like a good future in this country and you know but also I think as kids of immigrant parents like first generation kids we also feel like a duty to sort of you know give our parents everything that they that to make them happy too so even though like my parents never like forced us to have like good grades or like you know made us study intense hours we also felt the duty to you know we sort of owe it to them so we we were also like I personally I'm speaking for myself I personally felt like happy you know studying hard and you know just not breaking any curfews and staying out of trouble (laughs) for their sake and also for mine (laughs) yes I can totally relate my parents never had the chance of an education even because the war Mm -hmm. in Korea it exploded oh, yeah. when they were teenagers. So my mom stopped school at 13, I think. So when she came to France, she barely knew how to read even her own language, let alone yeah. learning a foreign language. My grandmother, she learned how to write and read a Cambodian at the age of 20 and still doesn't know how to write and learn uh, French. So oh, wow, I yeah. definitely feel privileged the, that I grew up in France where the school system is free from uh, kindergarten to the PhD and when I came to mm-hmm. the States and education is super expensive I feel even more mm-hmm. honored that I could afford that through scholarship and through other other help yeah that must be tough for them it's I think sometimes I think about like how my parents grew up because they also grew up so I think there were you know there were a lot of changes in society and I think they grew up in a lot of poverty so yeah have you ever uh, gone to visit your family in China or in Malaysia um, I did visit Malaysia maybe 10 years ago. It was very interesting. It was a sort of different culture. And did you, could you relate to the people there or not at all? Like, did you feel more Western? I think there were definitely some similarities that surprised me and some uh, differences that also surprised me. I, I really liked the food. I think in Asia, the food is just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I like ate, so I ate my way through Asia when I was traveling there. It was really interesting also, like, everyone was um, on, like, mopeds. What? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, like, super into mopeds in what Malaysia. What are mopeds? Oh, they're, like, like, like motorcycles. Oh, like the scooters? They're a little bit different. Yeah, like scooters. But they're, like, they're, like, not scooters. I mean, they're, like, more scooters than m- motorcycles. I actually don't know the difference. 
<laughs> I just know they got more beds. <laughs> That's really, really cool. And uh, what, yeah. kind of, um, what kind of series or TV shows are you watching? Is it um, influenced by Asian culture or not at all? I don't know what I'm watching. I'm not watching a lot these days. But yeah, like growing up, like when I was like little, I was like watching obviously like cartoons and little kid shows. But at some point when you're a kid, you realize like, why are there no like Asian people on TV? Why aren't there any people, you know, that look like me? And for the longest time, I was like, why can't I tell people who look, you know, why can't I tell some characters apart? And I realized it wasn't my fault. It's because they were all like people of the same color and people of the same age. And I really couldn't blame myself for that. Um, but I know in, in high school, I was sort of like getting more in touch with my Asian roots and listening to like Asian music and watching like Asian TV shows for sure. And, but like now it's just, you know, back to sort of mainstream media, but also still being frustrated that there's like a lack of uh, Asian represent representation in, in Western culture and Western media. Say so it's 2020. Why don't we have more, more of these shows mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the media? And it's just a lot of the same sort of stuff. And it's kind of frustrating when you like can't, 100% relate or even like you know obviously you don't have to relate to every show you watch but sometimes it'd be good to have a character that reflects you or reflects how you grew up or the sort of culture or values that you also hold yes did you also grow up with the Asian stereotypes I mean there's like nerdy and then there's like you know submissive sort of docile sort of person but you know, like also in France, I've uh, I've had people telling me konnichiwa and then making a uh, kung fu gestures to me. Oh, okay, that's super right. That's super annoying. Like, uh, they were trying to be funny, but I, I, just, I just couldn't get it because I've never gotten to martial arts. Like, if anything, I had hobbies like dancing and playing the piano, like some very soft things, but also more feminine. I yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't really into martial arts either. So is there a piece of advice that you would like to give our audience uh, about multicultural education? What's your last um, word for this podcast? Yeah, just find people who are similar to you and, you know, are able to understand you and support you because it's very important to feel understood. Pursue your dreams and don't be ashamed of your, your roots and just embrace your sort of culture. I think for me, embracing sort of this mixed culture growing up sort of helped me be confident and you know realize this is what made me who I am today <laughs> this is lovely thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for uh, being a guest on this podcast I really appreciate it thank you <laughs> it's been fun it's been great honestly <laughs> if you love the podcast you can check out my blog education monsters it's education-monsters.com you can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my Patreon page. The link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.